Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby podcast with me, Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald. As far as I can see, I always want to get in the Irish team. And that should be every young player's dream and ambition in this country. And if you're playing in a place where you're not going to get the opportunities in the big games, that they're the ones that get you picked. They are the ones, the Champions Cup games are the ones that get you picked. You need to be playing in a team and starting in a team for those games. It's as simple as that if you want to play in the Irish team. Every week on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Proud sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry. Hello and welcome to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. Folks, on this week's show, I'll be talking about the menstrual cycle with leading expert Dr. Kiva Hartley, GP and women's health specialist. For far too long, the menstrual cycle has been a taboo subject. And we're going to change that today. Since the dawn of time, women have been faced with bleeding, severe pain, and a litany of menstrual problems. However, with new attitudes, treatments, and technological developments, things are changing. And with that change, should men take their head out of the sand when it comes to knowing more about periods? Well, I certainly think they should. Today, I'm going to ask all the questions people need to know around menstruation with Dr. Kiva Hartley. Kiva, welcome to the show. How's it going? Things are good, Carl. Thanks. How are you? Things are good. Thank you for coming. I'm fascinated on this topic, okay? I'm also a little nervous uh, because I'm going to learn lots of stuff that I don't know, which is brilliant. So it is, I suppose, joking aside, it is a really important topic and it is important to have the conversations around, you know, menstruation, what it is, learn more about it. Men, women, we all need to be talking about it and we need to improve our knowledge about it too. I think that's really true. I mean, it affects 50% of the population and and it's something that is actually a huge part of every woman's life, really. And yet, something that for ages has been something that people don't really want to chat about. Obviously, there's an embarrassment factor and the kind of, you know, privacy factor. It's something that is a, a part of our private lives. But I think really important that, that we equip women and arm them with the right information, with that knowledge, with the, with the facts to help them move forward. Okay, well, let's bring it right back to basics. Okay, what is menstruation and what is the menstrual cycle? Let's just start there. Okay, okay, good question. So, um, so menstruation just means um, essentially it's blood loss that's happening from inside your womb. Um, so the menstrual cycle is the changes of hormones that happen in a pattern, usually, generally speaking, on a monthly basis for women once they've um, started puberty, which is the kind of start of their reproductive life, and which generally ends with menopause, which is the end of the reproductive life. So on average, you know, girls, most girls will start having periods somewhere around the age of 11 or 12 on average. Um, and menopause, so the kind of other, the bookend to that then is usually around 50 or 51. And an average menstrual cycle is about 28 days long. Huge variation in that. Like it's really individual, depends on the woman. And all that's happening is your ovaries, which are two small, like almond sized um, glands that sit in your pelvis, they release an egg once a month. That's called ovulation. And if you don't become pregnant, you get a change in hormones because of that. And then that can result in a period. And then the cycle starts over again. Okay, and it is important to say that you know everyone is individual. It isn't. Uh, it isn't you know a one size fits all approach. That's part of the problem, I think, because sometimes I'll meet girls who, you know, they've chatted to a friend in school who has a totally different pattern, and um, you can get you know some women have heavy periods, some have light, some last for you know five to seven days, which might be average, but some girls get periods just for a couple of days. Some are painful, some aren't, etc. And and sometimes it's hard to find common ground about that. And it can make you feel like what you're experiencing is abnormal, but actually it's well within 
a normal range. So it's important to know, I think, what's normal and what's what maybe requires a bit of investigation or a bit more attention. Okay, so in terms of managing your menstrual cycle, I suppose knowledge is the first thing, getting to know yourself, getting to know your body, getting to know you know, what, what your cycle is. That's an important place to start. Definitely, yeah. And one of the challenges with puberty when girls start having periods is that they can be irregular at the start. So there's a bit of a myth that like, oh, I get my period and that's it now once a month, you know, off I go. And actually in the first couple of years, you might have very irregular cycles. So you could go a couple of months with nothing. You might get a month with two periods. It can be a bit sort of stuttering at the beginning. Um, so it can take a while to see what your actual pattern is going to be like. And then it's influenced by other things like weight gain or weight loss or having a baby or stress or bereavement and and lots of other things. You know, even your activity level and how much exercise you do can have an impact too. So it's really interesting. And is there any research or do we know, you know, is menstruation, is it starting earlier as we evolve uh, in terms of when it begins or is that a myth? No, nope, not a myth. There was interesting studies looking at this in the States. So they did... Um, surveys to see what the average age of um, menarche, which is the fancy medical term for starting having periods. Um, so they were looking to see what average age girls would have started having their periods. And they they repeated that study then over the course of a few years. And so what they've shown is that it has come down on average by about six months. I th- it's something like it used to be 13 and now it's about 12 and a half, give or take. Um, so it's hard to extrapolate that across the globe, but because um, like that study hasn't been replicated in every country, but it's probably an indicator that, yeah, due to like maybe nutritional status and different things like that, we're starting to see girls have slightly earlier periods starting at a younger age. Yep. So not a myth. Okay. And what are the issues around menstruation if it's not managed properly? What can happen? Yeah, um, well, there's an, there's embarrassment. So it can really affect, um, for young girls in particular who are in secondary school, it can affect their self-esteem. They can feel embarrassed if, you know, in case they have leaking, like if they have very heavy periods that aren't managed properly, it might prevent them from doing things like certain sports or swimming or, um, you know, social activities that they might be, you know, scared to participate in. It can be really painful for some girls. Um, and again, that can be off-putting if they want to do certain sports or certain activities. And they're, you know, they might even miss school or miss work or whatever it might be because of painful periods. Um, and sometimes we miss things. So, you know, there's um, girls who might have a very, very irregular cycle and and they don't realize that that's maybe not totally normal and they should talk to their GP about getting some blood work. So it's important, kind of going back to where we started, that we that we give young girls in particular, I think, a lot of information to to kind of arm them going forward through their teens and into their 20s. A lot of people who listen in, you know, will have concerns in around their time of the month in terms of weight gain, in terms of fluid gain. Let's chat through that in terms of, you know, that, uh, and dispel maybe some of the myths that might be there. Do you gain weight in a range of period? Do you gain fluid? My, my own uh, uneducated opinion would be yes, but, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward <laughs> to finding out. Do you find that during the month you often, you often have time for your gaining a bit of fluid? Yeah. Um, it's not a myth, actually. Yeah. So we know, like, so there's two main hormones at play. So there's a hormone called estrogen. And as you recruit, follicles at the beginning of a month your ovaries are trying to find an egg that they're going to ovulate in the middle of the cycle and so you actually start that process by recruiting you know anything between sort of 10 and 20 follicles at the beginning of a month Uh, so this is on each side so you have them spread over each each ovary and as they get bigger and those follicles are maturing and each of those contains a small egg one of them becomes dominant 
and that gets really big and the others sort of fade away and then that's the egg that ovulates. But those follicles, as they're getting bigger, they start releasing estrogen. So you get this rise in a hormone called estrogen over the first couple of weeks. Then you ovulate in the middle of the month. So you release that dominant egg. And if you're not pregnant over the next two weeks on average, you get a fall in that estrogen level. But there's a second hormone just to really confuse you, Carl. There's a second hormone. So it's called progesterone. So literally like progestation, it's it's the hormone that's going to support a growing pregnancy if it happens. But if you're not pregnant, that hormone starts to fall over that second two weeks as well. So when women get PMS, which is premenstrual symptoms or premenstrual syndrome, they're experiencing symptoms because of this fall in hormones. And it can it can make them feel lots of different things. It's really individual. Some women get breast tenderness, they can get headaches, they get mood changes. Um, but bloating and fluid retention can be related to either the fall in those hormones or actually related to that progesterone, that second hormone can cause you to get a bit bloated and, and feel a bit unwell. And how sensitive you are to that kind of fluctuating or change in hormones is really individual, but we think it's genetic. So you're kind of born with this predisposition to like being sensitive to these small changes in hormones. Okay. And what other kind of myths and taboos are there around uh, periods god there's loads it's kind of hard to know where to start i've heard sort of everything in a way and it's funny how like i think in a circle of friends somebody can start saying something and then it sort of spreads you know through like a group and it's even within the internet and google and stuff it's still quite hard to get accurate information i think a lot of girls um i think a lot of younger girls think um that you know that their periods should be clockwork and it should be every 28 days when in reality actually a bit of variation in your cycle is normal so it could be anything from kind of you know 25 to sort of 33 days would probably be well within a normal range and that can just fluctuate from month to month and um, you don't ovulate every month so you you might skip a month occasionally you won't necessarily skip having a period but you might not know it but you haven't ovulated some months out of the year um, you can get pregnant at any point throughout your menstrual cycle. I think that's another myth maybe is that if you're having your period, you can't get pregnant. It's incredibly unlikely, like it's a really low risk time, but like you technically can get pregnant at any point through at any point throughout your period. So if you're really, you know, looking for birth control and contraception, you need to be really ca like cautious and conscious of that. Um, what other myths are there? Um, one of the big problems I think is, um, the access to, to like sanitary products. So things like pads and tampons and, um, and kind of knowing what's normal and, um, knowing what's kind of heavy flow and what's not. Um, a lot of girls describe having really, really, really heavy periods. Um, they're actually losing a really small amount of blood per month, but it's significant to them. So it can be, uh, is there any way of knowing for people listening in what, it, or is there a normal amount or not? Um, so about, up to about 80 mils of blood loss a month is normal, but I don't know many girls who want to be out there sort of like with the jug measuring their like, you know, blood loss every month. And I'm not, I'm not remotely suggesting that anybody does that, but just to give you a kind of average, it often feels like it's a lot more than it actually is. It's not usually dangerous to your health, to, but it, but cumulatively, if you have someone who has really heavy periods over a long amount of time, like a few years, they can become anemic. They can become iron deficient. And we pick that up with blood tests. Um, generally, what I will tell younger girls is to watch out for a change in their patterns. So if they're used to having, you know, periods that are manageable and now they have become much heavier 
for no reason. That's something that might require a little bit of investigation to give them an answer as to why it's changed. Or if you're someone who's finding that your periods are so heavy that they're interrupting your ability to do things on a daily basis, like sports, if you're kind of flooding, which is that you're you're um, having blood loss through um, sanitary products. So if, let's say you're wearing kind of a thicker pad or you have one of the kind of more heavy duty tampons and you're still having bleeding despite that, that sometimes requires investigation too. Or if you're up at night to change your pad, um, that's, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean there's something sinister or worrying underlying it, but we can treat it. So why would you kind of put up with it, you know? When it comes to sport and to exercise, does it impact or within the, the, the time frame of your cycle or where you are in your cycle, does that impact performance? Does it impact your ability to, to you know, to exercise or to do certain things? Um, I think if you are having your period and you want to go out and do like sometimes it just on a practical level, you might not feel like it. You might be a bit more crampy. Um, and then there's the whole kind of practical side of, of like, you know, blood loss. And like, like if you're swimming, it might not be practical, that kind of thing. Um, there was one really interesting course. I can't think of like where the study was done or like who did it. But I know there was one really interesting bit of research that had looked at um, really high level female athletes showing that they were actually higher risk of having um, ligament tears in their knees and ankles uh, around their time of their period. And the theory was that it was to due to changes in um, estrogen levels that were affecting like collagen and things that give you tensile strength in your ligaments and your joints and your tendons and stuff. So it definitely, there's something kind of to the whole hormonal impact on how we exercise and, and different things like that. But yeah, there's a, there's a practical issue there as well. Folks, you're listening to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. We're chatting all things periods and menstrual cycle with fantastic Kiva Hartley. Kiva, talk to me about wellness and uh, kind of PMS and periods. So in terms of if you're healthy, if you're active, does it reduce the impact of, of symptoms prior to your period? Does it not? What, you know, what, what are the aspects to that? Um, I think being active and exercising regularly is going to have a big impact on mood for most people anyway. Um, so, you know, in terms of things like PMS, where we might see for some women, you get a bit, you can have irritability, you can actually have low mood symptoms. There's a condition called PMDD, which is gaining, um, recognition. So that's premenstrual dysphoric disorder. I don't know who names these things. doesn't really like roll off the tongue, but anyway, PMDD. Um, and we're starting to recognize that more and more as something that can actually really impact women, especially um, that tends to get worse as they go through perimenopause, uh, which is the years sort of leading up to your period stopping and your menopause. Um, and that can have a huge impact on like relationships and your ability to work, your concentration, even your sleep patterns actually are thrown off. Um, usually that week before you have your period, your core body temperature goes up ever so slightly, but enough that it can actually cause sleep disturbance. Um, and your mood can be really affected. So exercise is probably a good way of, of managing that without kind of having to take medication or do anything else. Chat to me around uh, disorders related to menstruation. So presumably the likes of uh, PCOS uh, and other ones, I, I would imagine there are too. Yeah, there's a few. Yeah, so PCOS is polycystic ovarian syndrome. So really common, actually. Um, and uh, we think it's at least sort of 10% of women that, that experience polycystic ovarian syndrome, but badly named because you don't actually have to have cysts on your ovaries to have polycystic ovarian syndrome. So that's a bit misleading. Um, but basically, that's a kind of, it's called an endocrine disorder. So it's to do with hormones. 
And we think the underlying issue is that you start maybe off, you start off maybe with a genetic predisposition, like you're vulnerable to developing it. And then you find um, for some women, they get insulin resistance. So insulin is a hormone that you release to help you control your blood sugars. And um, if you have, for some reason, maybe genetically, if that insulin isn't as effective as it should be, you have to produce more of it to keep your blood sugar stable. And this kind of hyper insulin, like having a little bit more insulin floating around, that environment tends to encourage your ovaries to produce more of a hormone, a bit like testosterone, including testosterone actually, but they're they're called androgens. So testosterone-like hormones. And that can create some symptoms for women. So things like excess hair growth, um, you can find acne. Acne is quite w- common in women, polycystic ovarian syndrome, sometimes weight gain, but not always, and sometimes irregular periods. So we would define that as being less than eight periods per year would be considered sort of in that like clinical criteria. And then sometimes when we scan women or do an ultrasound to look at their ovaries, you'll see that they actually have multiple cysts on their ovaries, but not all the time. Um, and it can be associated with reduced fertility. But again, important to kind of point out that for lots of women, they get no problem becoming pregnant. It's not everybody with PCOS. It's quite individual. It's kind of a, it's, it's one of those syndromes that it, it expresses itself differently in, in different people. So not everybody gets acne and not everybody gets the reduction in periods. It depends on the person. Tell me more about endometriosis. Yeah, sorry, you had asked me about other conditions as well. So endometriosis is uh, um, also really, really common and probably underdiagnosed. We think there's loads more women out there who have endometriosis, but haven't got the diagnosis of it. Um, Again, it's probably genetic, but we're not really sure as to why some people get it and some people don't. So if you think inside your womb, you have a layer of muscle and sitting on top of that layer on the inside, like icing on a cake actually I immediately regret using that analogy but anyway I so sitting on top of this muscle right you get this layer of tissue that's called your endometrium and once a month it's that layer that sheds and then builds up again and then sheds and so on so with endometriosis what we think happens is that that type of tissue that lines the inside of the womb somehow finds its way out of your womb and you get little pockets or deposits of this endometrial tissue sitting on your ovary or sitting in your fallopian tube or sitting on your bowel or in your pelvis and it's responding to hormones just like the tissue inside your womb is so it will grow and proliferate over the first two weeks it will essentially shed and sort of disintegrate when you have your period and that can cause a huge amount of pelvic pain so commonly with endometriosis what people will describe is really intense period pain and it's cyclical obviously it's just at the time of their period severe endometriosis like it's a spectrum it could be mild to severe severe endometriosis some women actually get you know symptoms throughout the month and and a lot of women have a story of like you know I've been down to the doctor a few times I have this chronic pelvic pain and it takes them a year or two or more depending on the person to get a, a diagnosis because it's quite hard to diagnose we don't see it on a scan all the time sometimes you do but um we don't always see it with scans so you have to actually the gold standard would be to actually look inside someone's pelvis with a camera it's called a laparoscopy and actually see this endometrial tissue outside in their pelvis. But again, it's very manageable and treatable. And, you know, so nobody should be suffering with it if, if possible. 
And I think that's a really good point that if you are suffering, you're not meant to be, you know what I mean? That there is help there. You may have to persist. You may have to see different people such as yourself, but that if you are listening in and you're suffering from extreme period pain, don't suffer in silence, go and talk to someone, start with your GP and then take things from there. So true. And like, unlike men, Carl, women are incredibly good at just getting on with it <laughs> and putting up with, um, but we like, but we are, I mean, I'm joking yeah. obviously, but like we, we are, and that, that's one of the problems. And historically in medicine, there's a real attitude of like, ah, it's just part of being female and you're kind of told to put up with it. And it's rubbish. Like we, sh- you know, um, and, and thankfully the majority of women don't have an issue and they have normal periods and they don't get that exceptional pain and they're fine. But I think for that small percentage, there's kind of a, maybe not shame is overstating it, but there's an embarrassment that you're in any way different. And like, why am I, am I just, it's almost like, well, it's, is it reflecting that I don't have a good tolerance for pain? Am I, you know, and so they don't want to be vocal and complain about it, but actually like they should, just like you would about, you know, if you poorly controlled asthma and you're coughing all the time, you'd have no embarrassment going down to your GP getting your inhaler getting sorted out it's the same it's really important and some of these conditions recognizing them early has they've long-term health implications so you know treating endometriosis early is important we 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 can stop the progression of it and, and getting worse and and we can preserve fertility potentially for women who may otherwise have had an impact on their fertility and the same with polycystic ovarian syndrome it slightly increases your risk of developing things like blood pressure or cardiac disease or diabetes so managing it and being aware of it is really important. So we should have a more sort of supportive language and and be more kind of open door for women who are experiencing issues. And do you think that on a societal level that the stigma is reducing, or is it as is it there as much as ever? Or you know what, what's your what's your take on that? Um, I think things like this, like doing this podcast and bring you know and having it out there in a public forum is really important. I think it probably is reducing and we're seeing like there's loads of talk about menopause say for example recently in you know in the last six months in particular which is great to see um another area that's maybe been quite stigmatized for a really long time um even you know there's been within the kind of hse in the department of health there's been movement towards encouraging um a, a kind of conversation or a consciousness around period poverty for example like this concept of of women you know being held back by certain conditions that give them very heavy, heavier painful periods or not having access to proper sanitary care because actually like tampons and pads are really expensive there's a reason they're sold I'm sorry I'm wandering off course here but there's a reason that say packs of tampons tend to be sold in packs of 16 and that's because that was considered the average number of tampons a woman would need for an average like period when in fact like there's lots of outliers to that and they're they're really expensive if you're buying them every month some women have periods every three weeks and that's just normal for them it adds up you know and even things like you know some types of the pill sometimes of of coil um a little device that we often insert to help with heavy bleeding and um, they're really expensive you know so um i think making those things a bit more accessible to women is one really important way of supporting especially our younger girls in their teens and 20s you know let's chat briefly about menopause we did do a menopause ep a couple of eps ago so if you haven't heard it yet do listen back with dr Deirdre lundy on telling us all things menopause but it's important to talk about it again because again it's a topic and it was the first type of episode that we'd done on the show where it for a male presenter to bring it to bring someone on to talk about it was 
very much not the done thing. And we got such a huge reaction to it. It is really important to talk about it. It is becoming far more open in terms of a conversation. And that all started with Joe Duffy, you know, mm-hmm. two or two weeks or so of people just chatting about it. And I remember listening to some to some of the some of the women on. And it is it's it's such a uh, it's such for so long such a hidden issue where now people are beginning to speak about it a little bit more. And let's just chat about it a little bit more on, on today's show too. Yeah, so it's something that I that I do a lot of, and I've a, an interest in particular in perimenopause, which is like wasn't really recognised for a really long time, and is becoming more talked about now. Um, and like it's funny, I'll speak to women like on a daily basis, and they'll mention, you know, I you know. I'm not really sure kind of what my how my mum went through it or what kind of experience she had because it wasn't discussed, which is fine. I mean, I'm not saying that we should all be out there talking about our periods all day long and talking to, you know, like everyone's private and that's a good thing. But it shows you how um, I think women are often left in the dark. And and there has been quite a good bit of talk about um like puberty and periods and I think we got maybe I think a little better in the last few years about encouraging talk about that in schools menopause got left behind and some of that is to do with the age group of of women that it affects they're kind of you know we've this youth obsessed culture and I think that often you know and and they're women who are actually they're really busy like they have young kids and they've aging parents and they're like they might be working or they might be running a household or and they're just too bloody busy to be, you know, to have time to actually kind of sit down and, and appreciate what they're going through. But really important, has a huge impact on, on quality of life. What would you like to know about menopause, Carl? Shoot. Yeah. So uh, I was going to say the same thing is true that, you, again, you shouldn't be suffering is the first thing. Go mm. and talk to someone. Don't just don't just get on with it because life is really busy. That, that's important. From an age perspective, from recollection, I'm testing my menopause memory here. Yeah. I go back into my, my head. <laughs> I my feel like I should be quizzing you. How well did you listen to Deirdre? You know, I should be quizzing so you. It, it's, it, can be late thir- it can be late 30s, early 40s onwards. It doesn't have to be mid 40s, early 50s or whatever. There, again, mm. everyone is different. And there's a huge time scale for when you know you could be men- you could be menopausal definitely yeah and and like about five percent of women under 45 their periods will stop completely so they'll be kind of truly menopausal about one percent of women have that happen under the age of 40 but a huge percentage of women will notice symptoms so their periods might not have stopped but they'll notice symptoms really from their early 40s onwards on average um, and the other, like, there's a lot of kind of myths that surround perimenopause. People think, well, I can't be, you know, menopausal or perimenopausal if if I'm still having periods. Well, you can be perimenopausal. Like, you can be having changes in how your ovaries are producing these hormones that are giving you symptoms, even if your periods are still pretty regular. So it's a very difficult, like, from my perspective, it's a difficult thing to pin down. And it's a difficult thing to help women figure out how much of what I'm experiencing is due to hormonal change and how much of what I'm experiencing might be due to other factors, other medical factors, COVID, like stressful life. It's, you know, there's other issues at play and there's no blood test necessarily that will help us figure that out. So it's, it's quite a sort of in-depth conversation to try and figure that out, but often worth it because for the percentage of women who are suffering because of a hormonal change, you can kind of give them their life back a little. Also important maybe to point out that lots of women go through menopause, you know, unscathed, like they are, their periods stop, they're grand, they don't get huge symptoms. That's a decent percentage of women. Like there's a good fifth of women who probably won't get significant symptoms just so we don't frighten every poor 
30 something year old woman out there to like that thinks they're facing into something awful lots of women are fine but it's just to make sure women know where to go if they're not you know who to talk to yes the important thing is seek help don't suffer and I suppose across the whole episode regardless of age profile that is the key thing whether it's menstrual cycle whether it's menopause seek help chat to someone there's loads of help out there talk to your GP if people want to get in touch with yourself give us your website give us your details yeah, so I run a clinic called Menopause Health. We're based in Dawkey. The website is um, menopausehealth.ie and the email is info at menopausehealth.ie. Fantastic. Dr. Kiva Hartley, thank you so much for joining us on today's show. As ever, with these episodes, it's brilliant. I get to sit back and listen and absorb all the information because they're just things I don't really know enough about. But that's why we bring experts like yourself on. So it's been fantastic to have you on. And I think it's a really important topic we need to talk more around and the language and just to get chatting about it for men and women alike of all ages. It is really, really important. Folks, that's it for another episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. We really hope you enjoyed today's show. As ever, you know where we are, realhealthindependent.ie, at Carl Henry PT on Twitter and on Instagram. And as ever, we'll see you next week for more Real Health. It's long before. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Proud sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry.